welcome to the Weekly Artifact. This is a tri-weekly podcast created by two friends who met in undergrad and, against all odds, decided to keep talking to each other. I'm your host, Alex, joined always by my co-host, who actually thinks Uncle Ruckus makes some good points if you hear him out. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Justin. The internet moves fast. The hot takes of today are less than a distant memory by tomorrow. We're here to slow down and recover the content that's been lost along the way in order to make sense of where the world was, where it is, and where it will be. To that end, we've each chosen an artifact from the web to discuss together. Our comments are our own and are not associated with any institution. The show may contain explicit language or themes. See the show notes for specific content warnings. Justin, what's your artifact this week? Alright, so my article this week is called The Essence of Peopling by Sarah Perry. And it's from 2015. Uh, this one's a little bit different than most of our articles. And uh, I don't think it's perfect, but I do re- like where it ends up. And there's some strange stuff in the middle, but we can get to that. Um, I'll, I'll try. I can't really, I don't think I can do this article full justice with a brief summary of it. So. I'm going to say, I'm going to hit some key points and you can read it for yourself if you want to dive into it fully. But basically, so it starts off defining what it means by peopling, which is basically just her preference that we think of being human as a process rather than a static noun. And so thinking about the stuff that we do as people she says peopling includes construction dance commerce old age drunkenness conversation worship play war fashion sleep stories and a thousand other things and that's where it starts off kind of simple enough and then it goes into some philosophy of the mind i guess would be the best way to put it sure uh and also some absolutely horrid illustrations (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i kind of scrolled through this article first and i was like what in the hell am i gonna get myself into <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not really I, I don't know what to make of the illustrations i don't even know how effective they are. <laughs> i was gonna say barely seemed worth it uh, definitely wasn't worth the time that it took to make them if, if, if there was any but i'm assuming that there was some time spent so it, it expands on that notion of people and drawing on some different philosophical ideas to suggest that we're not solitary individuals sort of we're all kind of in this mesh network of being people together but then also that it's it's difficult to know other people in sort of like a true way and so we have to sort of like model them uh, in our minds um, in order to have a sense of, of who they are And so that kind of becomes important. She then kind of goes into this, she talks about some like neurological disorders that she tries to to just like enhance her point and how these different delusions sort of get at what happens when when this process of peopling goes wrong. She says the the Kotar delusion is the belief that one is dead or does not exist. The Capgrass delusion is the belief that a close family member or spouse uh, has been replaced by an imposter, and she goes through some other ones, and then also ones that she kind of describes as more common delusions, um, such as grandeur, 
and persecution or misperceptions of status and relationships, mm-hmm. um, exaggerating the importance of the self in a positive or negative way. And, and so these all kind of have to do with how we model other people and also how other people view us. And what and when that goes wrong, we tend to view it as a, a neurological disorder. And then she kind of gets into also thinking about opportunities to sort of connect and how our modeling gets in, sort of increasingly broken in a world where there's not time to sort of connect to people. He says more and more moments are interstitial in between the allegedly real moments of living. We don't interact with each other because we are just getting from place to place, perhaps simulating past and future moments in our imagination. And gradually, these not really living moments can come to occupy the majority of our lives. Perhaps many of us who identify as introverts are just especially sensitive to the ugliness and awkwardness of modern built and social environments. And yeah, and so she's trying to sort of think about how we can sort of have more real connections in order to help with how we do our modeling and peopling. She then gets into sort of like this top-down versus bottom-up forms of modeling, which is basically the top-down is basically when like a leader uses like coercion to try and get themselves to be modeled how they are versus one that's more healthy, as she says, is the ground-up model, which uh, is when communities sort of form models that can work better for them uh, in their context. And so the article as it concludes starts to talk about like ways that we can or build better ways of having ground up uh modeling and and sort of makes a point about bureaucracy and how that you know when you're like just talking to someone that represents a corporation who's reading from a script and how that like gets in the way of knowing people Mm -hmm. um and basically lands on like rituals as a way of of helping to know people and also as like a way of doing this ground up modeling and then it ends it, with looking at there's these different sort of like essences to she she looks at this book called meanings of life and and this author argues that there's like four things that humans need and then she sort of suggests sort of like a fifth being like this need to interact, the need to interact with others to simulate them and be simulated by them in positive ways, no matter how mundane. And then the final paragraph. In conclusion, drink tea together with your friends, pay attention to the tea and to your friends, and pay attention to your friends paying attention to the tea. Therein lies the meaning of life. And that is the artifact. Okay, so it's a... yeah, definitely kind of a strange ride to get through. It, although it kind of is a quick read, even though it, it's kind of long, but it reads kind of... It's not as uh, dense as it could be. Sure. Well, I guess it depends on the... <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, let me take that back, actually. I read so much dense stuff, I can't tell you what's <laughs> <laughs> dense or not anymore. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just start with the end, and we can sort of work backwards. Yeah, I, I just really, I, when I first read this article, and I just really liked the ending of it, because I feel like just especially at that point of my life I was at, 
I did a lot more of just like pretty much doing like well, what's in that conclusion. I there is a lot of times where I just I just go out and like have a hot beverage with a friend or whatever, and you know, in one sense, it was kind of like you know, I think there's a lot of like societal pressure for things to be in like in some way like productive or leading mm-hmm. to something, mm-hmm. and I think in some ways I definitely like internalized that or felt that a little bit but i think i've sort of come to realize that there is some truth in that you know whatever you can the the framing meaning of life is kind of loaded but but i do think those moments are like the moments we can control and that is kind of therefore what we have to make meaning of you know, mm-hmm. even if there's like other uh, aspects to life, and yeah, I, don't know. I just think there's a lot of stuff to say about like value and how society sort of gets structured, both at the like economic and political level. That is not necessarily like present in the article explicitly, but you can pull out of it, and it kind of speaks to some. Um, some of that stuff. So I'll cut off there and let you huh. cut in with your what was your initial reaction to this? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the part that kind of maybe because I've been thinking about it recently, otherwise, and sort of brought it to here, but sort of the idea of like parasocial relationships and like how she talks about the present parentheses or any celebrity of people's mental models of you know who these people are, what they should be, and like especially I think with social media, I mean, it's 2015 social media is still very prevalent, but the idea of like, all right, this is like everything that you're, you're seeing exactly what these people are sort of offering you, especially in like a sort of even a PR stunt or just like sort of as like a, obviously they get to like edit themselves. God forbid the outtakes of this ever gets leaked, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but just like you, like you don't know, like you have, I mean, like you have to construct who these people are in your mind to sort of give them a full picture, but, that you can't even really get a hundred percent with people that you like really intimately know. And you definitely can't do it with somebody that you like follow on Twitter and like, see their, like read their like feed. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it was just something that I was thinking of. And I, I like the, I'm glad you kind of start with the conclusion, I guess. Cause uh, I mean, shout out to Kurt Vonnegut. All I do is, <laughs> all I do is fart. So, um, <laughs> which is to say she to pull a quote, like at the top of her, last paragraph besides her conclusion was Kurt Vonnegut Kurt Vonnegut famously stated his view on the meaning of life is quote we're here to fart around based on his examples of greeting people and dogs looking at pretty girls having brief conversations just to say it seems fair to expand this to here we're here to fart around together and I've I'm definitely a big proponent I think I've talked about this before in one of my safe rooms but a proponent of like doing things by yourself is fine and so I think I'd like to sort of expand that into like obviously doing doing nothing with somebody else is like pretty god tier as far as uh, S tier maybe even for the leaves <laughs> in the chat uh, of like a way to spend your time. I know I think that's sort of the preferable whatever. I mean, just go out to you know, have some. I my tea will be iced. You can have a hot beverage, Justin, but that's fine. Uh, and and also like well, that's the thing. Like just observe your friend doing something that you can with them as opposed to like getting fixated over what you think a famous person should be and then being disenfranchised when they do something that doesn't fit with your preconceived sort of idea of who they are when you don't even know anything about them actually besides what they're like let you see mm-hmm. so 
firstly, I think we have the episode title. All, all I do is fart. <laughs> all I do is fart. Uh, um, but then the other thing, so she doesn't mention parasocial relationships, but she does make kind of a strangely worded point, but one that I think connects to it. But she says, yeah, she's basically talking about how we have different selves and different social contexts, which is really just code switching, but even though she doesn't mm-hmm. hear it that way, but whatever. Yeah. But then there's code then, switching like inherently or sort of, I'm going to say inherently, like, did it begin in like in a race based context or is that, was that already language that was sort of used to explain it more uh, yeah, efficiently? I, I don't, I'm not super familiar with like the origins of the term, but I will say it's most commonly used with like African Americans mm-hmm. and, you know, supposedly how African Americans talk with each other versus like when they're in white spaces or whatever and i mean that you know there's obviously some truth to that but i think it's also strange because i mean as this article points out like it's just literally a thing everyone right (laughs) everyone does i mean i think it's just like obviously different sorts of groups will have like different sorts of language that they use i think people kind of become misconception that code switching is like an african-american thing when in reality it's just like a thing Right. right. But um but anyways, at the end of that paragraph, uh, she says that is one reason that Facebook and Google Plus are wrong to require a single government name identity for each user. Which is Google mm-hmm. Plus even still a thing? God, I don't and was it ever? I have no idea. <laughs> which is kind of strange because it's like it that would be kind of stupid to have like Facebook was like, what two different names do you want or something? <laughs> but I do think everyone, anyone whose like job is vaguely like public facing, probably should have two accounts. You gotta have an alt, folks. It's twenty twenty one. You gotta have an alt. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm... Twitter is an alt. Like, you understand? Like, I don't have a real Twitter. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like I mean, you know, if you're very like private person anyway and like people aren't just gonna be like randomly stumbling upon you then this probably doesn't really matter but like if i follow like a politician or a public speaker or whatever an author on social media it's because i know them from their work and like would have i would say like a somewhat reasonable expectation that their like content be somewhat related to that but at the same time, like, obviously they have their own life. I don't know. I mean, and you, I mean, the other, you could just argue, like, you know, just have one kind of do whatever you want. Like, I guess you could do that. But it's just, like, like for me, like, I have, like, a vaguely, like, in the most mild way, public-facing, I don't even know if job's the right word, but, uh, but I guess possible that someone could see me in one context and then choose to follow me. I mean, that has happened. Not to brag, but, but that's why, <laughs> but I have, like, an account that's, like, for that and, like, and then I just tweet about like stuff related to like what I do, and then I have another account where I just like share memes dunking on Elon Musk and <laughs> complaining about Marvel movies. Like, and I think it like makes sense to have those things be separate. Listen, usually you wouldn't follow a Republican Texas senator for porn recommendations, but every <laughs> once in a while, you get lucky. You get the best of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, people are always like, oh, yeah, it's the most normal thing Ted Cruz has done, which is true. But, uh, yeah, it's like, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, and probably, I mean, let's be honest, it's not, it wasn't Ted Cruz. It was whatever intern runs the account. 
but yeah, it's like that's why you should have two accounts. And it's like, yeah, if that's what you're into, like go for it. But yeah. I don't think it's unreasonable to be like if someone wants to follow Ted Cruz that they should also be seeing which pornographic tweets he's liking in his free time. Like, yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, I, I, to me that's reasonable to have two two accounts for that. So yeah, that was all just to riff on your parasocial relationships point. I mean, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I think this is the only other big point I have is when she's talking about of these interstitial moments and, you know, between the allegedly quote-unquote real moments. Like, I feel like, and she doesn't do this. And the, the politics of the article are kind of, I'm not sure exactly what they are, but, like, the one part where she's, like, singles out Mao and Stalin, I feel like, are is kind of, like, very, like, U.S.-centric, vaguely, like, right-wing kind of thing to do. Not to defend sure. Mao and Stalin, but to single them out in particular as if, like, there's never been anyone else who has committed <laughs> atrocities is kind of because there hasn't <laughs> but anyways but she, uh, but if she was if she had more of like a explicitly like um left wing lens i think you could easily read that part about uh these interstitial moments through um actually what marx talks about in capital volume one which i won't get into i'll put it in layman's terms but he sort of talks about like there's like a certain like time that even in like a ideal society everyone would have to work for even if that work is just like going out and picking the berries and butchering the chicken to eat or whatever like there's still some amount of time you'd have to work to keep yourself alive and that's also the same amount of time that you would have to work even if your work is sitting in a cubicle and making spreadsheets in theory there's just that's just like a set amount of time but then obviously in order to like for your boss to make money he's gonna want you to work longer than that minimum time and also more intensely during the time you are working but mainly for the purpose of this wants you to work longer and then even the time where you're not working is uh some it's going to be spent cooking and cleaning and sleeping and whatever else Mm -hmm. so at some point as you know corporations get stronger and unions get weaker you reach a point where it's like all of your free time is you know you're either working or your quote-unquote free time is just like running errands or whatever which seems to be kind of what she's talking about here even though she doesn't frame it in sort of like a critique of capitalism way i think this article makes more sense if you apply that lens to it as well but i can uh, she does kind of make a point about cancel culture which i know we'll get to when you get to your safe room huge she says uh one of the worst fates that could befall us in the internet age is to inadvertently become one of these celebrity entities to be publicly shamed to have a piece of our writing our behavior modeled as a public self by masses of people for our publicly shamed we are obligated to suffer by modeling the masses of people with enmity towards us even though they uh, do not think of us as full human beings which is like on one hand like i get what she's saying but it's also just like yeah like uh, it's not that bad to be uh <laughs> publicly shamed on twitter you will you'll survive chrissy teagan got everything she deserved yeah, I think the, uh, the only other thing I'll say is the point about, like, bureaucracies was also kind of interesting, and I think an under-discussed issue where 
I think we're kind of at this point where it's like we're trying to figure out like like how to get rid of like bias, I guess, without just making everything like standardized. So I feel like you see that with like movements to like get rid of like standardized tests and education stuff, which is in some ways obviously very good, like because the standardization obviously is biased in its own right, but at the same time if you just leave everything up to like individuals, then their own biases will come through too. Mm-hmm. So that's not exactly what she's talking about there, but I think I think that is kind of like an interesting maybe lens to look at that from. So I will cut it off there. Unless you have anything else to add. Mm-mm. All right. Well, then in that case, Alex, what is your artifact for this week? So my artifact for this week is an article from theappeal.org written by Andrea Armstrong uh, from April 10th, 2018, called The Letter to Jay-Z, Don't Keep This Promise. Professor Armstrong is a teacher of law at Loyola University of New Orleans, and basically it's talking about a... I didn't actually didn't follow up. Did this app... Is this real? Did this stop? I mean, it's real. I don't know if it's still... I feel I, I was actually I was listening to a different podcast recently where they were talking about it. I think it's still around. So this is about an app that uh, Jay Z was promoting or sort of on the ground floor with trying to send out called Promise, which basically is meant to uh, quoting him extends the or quoting the website uh, extends the capabilities of community supervision through intake and assessment, virtual support, and supervision slash oversight. But uh, Armstrong said this fundamentally misunderstands the problem because uh, Promise collects a fee from government agencies to develop individual care plans, quote unquote care plans, and monitor a person's compliance within the plan via their smartphone. And person under supervision can check into locations, receive calendar reminders for appointment court dates, as well as be monitored by GPS with all the information collected digitally being then provided to whatever government agency is sort of um, immediately responsible for this person. So the, the care plan includes things like referrals for job training, housing, and counseling. The problem is not that these programs sort of don't exist. Or it's, they're hard to come by because they're not sufficient in numbers. It's that they're uh, they hardly exist and they do not, the, the, the ones that do exist are often oversubscribed and that they need more investment in those with programs, she says, sorry, excuse me. She says, we'd love to see more investment in the people in the programs dealing with the leading cause of incarceration, including substance abuse, mental illness, ho- substance use, mental illness, homelessness, unresolved trauma, and unemployment. And the Promise Project doesn't like help to expand these critical programs. And she talks about how they're sort of, the things that the program is promising to do would sort of be either untenable or unreasonable, considering that the current system of like, um, she uses New Orleans as an example where she's, practices that they have to process people on paper anyways because the court's computers can't quote-unquote talk to the jail's computers so that there's no way that the promise app can possibly be as comprehensive as it claims to be and would probably just sow more confusion uh, because obviously it's all electronic and that the other problem is that the app conflates people who are being held pre-trial and who have yet to be convicted obviously and the people who have been convicted and are living uh in the community or on probation or on parole and offer the same tools for both populations but the problem is that there's not necessarily a way that's readily discernible for the two so that people that are pre-trial have yet to be convicted or might be have the same list of demands and requirements as people that have already been convicted or on parole or probation, which obviously is a problem. And for people on parole and probation, anyways, the app doesn't uh, appear to distinguish between technical violations 
such as Michigan employment because the buses stopped because there was a flash flood. And between that or new criminal activity, it simply records whether compliance or non-compliance happened. And our last sort of big point as far as what's wrong with the app is that promise the promise website refers to the government as the client, the person under supervision is the participant. So obviously, clearly, it sort of um, designates who the priority is with where it's service. To quote the article, it's, the app is designed to help the government control us by providing, quote, real-time location tracking and immediate notification violations to government agencies. And so the question, obviously, is why would... Jay-Z is trying to help the community. Why would he help the government find new ways to reliably and cheaply track a person's day-to-day movements when it's supposed to sort of end the sort of mass incarceration and reinvigorate the bail system? And so she ends the article with, the solution to poor people's inability to pay bills is not more monitoring, but less bail. Um, they could curb excessive bail and eliminate entirely for lesser crimes and misdemeanors. People should be released of their own recognizance without money security uh, and should be should be the starting point for bail decisions. So in creating a Byzantine system of monitoring and special requirements before someone is convicted actually leads to higher incarceration rates because even unintentional acts are deemed violations. So her solution is we need so much more than the end of the cash bail system. However, though, we need infrastructure, we need schools, hospitals, and jobs, we need reliable transportation, access to social services. We need police who are educated, trained, and rewarded for uh, treating us with dignity and respect. Humane jails and prison conditions. We need sheriffs, judges, and prosecutors who learn about rehabilitation, rehabilitation and reentry from the people who have been who have succeeded and are leaders in the community. We don't need an app that reinforces the current system of incarceration or props up a system that profits off of the people. So that's the that's most of the article and sort of the gist of what else is left. I was sort of going through. She doesn't have a lot of article. There's it's only it's only article on the website. But I was curious, because this is 2018, obviously we're living in 2021, uh, maybe not obvious for the listener, because this will come out in, God, 2050, but <laughs> in 2021, I was curious if her call for police who are educated, trained, and rewarded for treating us with dignity and respect has been evolved to uh, defunding the police in any articles, and she's only written a couple since then, and she talks more about incarceration and the, the problem of sort of America's mass incarceration, but doesn't, no calls for defunding of the police or any other sort of left-leaning political talking points that have gotten popularity over the last year or so with the uh, riots in the in the midst of the uh, COVID pandemic, the uh, civil unrest. I don't know if you had anything to, say, anything to say, Justin, but I mean, I'll start with, I guess, Jay-Z's been kind of a, what's a good word, uh, mixed bag, because he was sort of at the head of the black lives matter protests and then kneeling with the nfl and that sort of just led to what was his solution what did they just nothing i don't i can't remember <laughs> that's a little facetious but also not really of like what he sort of brought to the table of how to sort of change or lead the conversation to a better position i don't know if you like remember yeah i remember him saying something stupid <laughs> that, yeah. what it was though but i, I mean I, I just got distracted <laughs> You said, what's the word? I'm just imagining editing in a beep. <laughs> what's the word? He's a real law. <laughs> One of those no good. <laughs> but yeah, Jay-Z's politics are the politics of a billionaire. Like that's. Right. <laughs> I mean, he, listen, I think he said everything. <laughs> what was that song that came out? That was like in like 2018 or something. It was like the story of OJ. The story of OJ, and it was just like, you want to know what's more important than throwing away money in a strip club credit? You ever wonder why Jewish people own all the property in America? This is how they did it. <laughs> <laughs> not even like, not 
doesn't even like say Jews own all the property as like the like point or the argument. Nope. That's just like uh, like a, a given on the way to getting to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking up the Kaepernick thing. Uh, I think what it was was he claimed that he had like a private conversation with Kaepernick and like Kaepernick was fine with him yep. working with the league or something. Anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, like I was saying, I mean, Jay-Z doesn't have great politics and to the point where it becomes unclear, like, whether he's has bad politics on purpose or just, like, doesn't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because, yeah, it just, like, you can almost get into his mind here in terms of, like, you know, okay, maybe, you know, how do I help with this problem? Mm -hmm. I'll, you know, if I can make this app that, like, or gives people, like, an incentive to, like, not break the rules, then, like, they will be less likely to, and then they won't go to jail or something. But then when you kind of zoom out, it's like, when has (laughs) given giving the government more ability to monitor people ever led to fewer people Mm -hmm. (laughs) being in jail? Like, at best, this would be like a net zero, but right. and I think that article makes a great point where it's like the the government is the client, which makes which sort of leans into like okay maybe and you know I'm not I'm not gonna put this all on Jay Z. I think he's like the big name that like is the hook into this. Right. But it's not like he like wrote the code or something. No, just invested in it. But um, yeah, at some point it's like okay, like this is clearly. <laughs> Uh, you know, it knows what it's doing to some degree. But, yeah, I think what this article really speaks to to me is, like, larger issues in financial technology, that the yeah, the financial technology sector, which I listen to this podcast called Trash Future, where they talk about this stuff all the time. But it's, like, people are always trying to, like, create apps to solve problems mm-hmm. rather than actually... Solving the problem, mm-hmm. you know, and within the sort of lore of the Trash Future podcast, and it's you know a somewhat famous one for people interested in this stuff is the uh, case of the, this company called Juicero. Whoa. Have you heard of this? I can't say I've heard of Juicero. So they made these bags filled with like fruit pulp, basically, and then these machines that squeeze the pulp out of the bags. And they were, like, connected, like, they were, like, hooked up with Wi-Fi so that they could, like, check when the bags were expired and all this stuff. Except that, A, you could literally just squeeze the juice out of the bag yourself (laughs) and squeeze it out faster than the machine did. And, B, the expiration date was also just written on the bag anyway. So, like, (laughs) the machine really was not solving any problem. Like, it was just, like there for the sake of like how can we turn this into like a piece of technology that's hooked up to wi-fi or like how can we like make this into like an app where you can like check your app and see if your juice is ready or whatever it's sort of just like one of the most obvious examples uh, or most tangible examples Mm -hmm. but i mean it's literally the same thing that's going on here it's like you're not actually making it easier for people to avoid recidivism. You're just slapping an app on top of the existing system and, mm-hmm. and not actually changing anything. And, and for, you know, even though the article misses out on the police and prison abolition angle, 
it's like you know it does make an important point where it's like instead of putting money into this you could have just put money into like literally any social service <laughs> that would have right. helped these people but you know that gets back to like is is this just jay-z kind of being like ignorant of that or is it more malicious hard to tell jay-z pay one tax challenge <laughs> Oh, the other point I can make is uh, was a small point, but we make it talks about electronic monitoring has been used to expand the prison industrial complex into our own homes. And actually, if you watch the documentary Thirteenth, which uh-huh. Ava DuVernay is her own <laughs> case, which we don't have time to get into, but that that's at the end of that documentary, and other people have written about this too. Where it's like, yeah, they're turning. It seems like the trend now is to basically imprison people in their own homes. Which, mm-hmm. on one hand, now on the surface, you might think like, oh, that seems a little better than imprisoning them in your actual prisons. But it's actually worse because you're still have pretty much all the same restrictions as if you were in prison, except now you have to pay for your own housing. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's an important point. Yeah, and then the other thing, so the uh, so I was listening to a, a different podcast called Flash Forward, but they were talking about, like, could, could, the episode title was Could Mind Control End Crime? And it was mostly about, yeah, like, whether there would be, like, technological abilities or if you could, like, give people certain drugs that could, you know, cause them not to commit crime. Like, is that possible? Would that be ethical or whatever? And to... Make a long story short, I mean, there's obviously a lot of ethical issues with that. On top of the fact that it's like there's nothing like inherently criminal about any particular behavior, like we see with like the legalization of marijuana. It's like that was technically a crime a few years ago, but now is not. So uh-huh. there's no point in like controlling someone's mind when you can just <laughs> change the law and not make it illegal. What's the most ass backward way we can do anything? <laughs> But I mean, then it also gets into like the minority report issue of like minorities. <laughs> I thought that was the issue. Where it's like, even if you could somehow predict if someone would commit a crime, like murder, let's say, or something, it's like, A, it's hard to like know for sure that they will. Like, you can't know the future until it happens. Uh, and so then it's like, is it worth like giving someone like a lobotomy, which is something they used to do? Or something they do currently, which is like forcibly drugging people mm-hmm. because you think at some point in the future they might do something is is kind of difficult to justify. But I think that is what she gets to uh, in that line towards the end where she says supervision is just another word for control. Yeah. And then the only other thing, um, I like the... Uh, little ps about 99 Mm -hmm. problems i always kind of assumed that that was probably based on some truth but it was just good to have a law professor yeah confirm that just ask me dude i i know (laughs) what do you mean i (laughs) what other legal advice could you possibly need outside of what i can offer you oh that does remind me i this is this is super tangential but do you know, so I, I know you only went to uh, law school, so I don't know if you know this, but do you know why <laughs> former criminals, people with felonies or whatever, can, can't vote? Like, what the legal justification for that is? Do you know the answer and you're seeing if I, I do know the answer? I do know the answer, mm. but 
So I know you went to law school, so I know I might have to help you out with this. <laughs> you're, see, now you're just bullying me. Um, <laughs> I bully anyone who went to law school. Let After me t- I realized <laughs> what law school was, now I Oh, no, I don't. I, me too. Me, too, honestly. <laughs> okay. Was it about, like, another thing about sort of, like, Voting laws, po- like Jim Crow, like post Civil War era. Mm, you're you're kind of on the right track. So so okay. So if you remember Amendments thirteen through fifteen. Oh right. Okay. So the so the Thirteenth Amendment um, is one that ends slavery. Except. Yes. <laughs> except <laughs> for if you go to prison, which implies. That prison either is slavery or at least can be under the We can make it, trust me. We'll get there. So that's the 13th Amendment, so keep that in mind. So prison is or can be a form of slavery. 14th Amendment is the one that we usually think about as dealing with citizenship, uh, birthright citizenship and stuff. It basically Mm -hmm. made all the uh, enslaved people citizens to count them. But also actually touches on voting when it says that basically you again it's a kind of like another except one where it says you you can't abridge a person's right to vote unless they uh have been part of a rebellion or crime but then the 15th amendment says that you actually cannot deny someone's right to vote based on a previous condition of servitude, which of course at the time refers to slavery, which we remember from the 13th Amendment is also prison. And so you could definitely read the 15th Amendment to say, at least previously in prison people, you can't deny them the right to vote. So it's sort of a direct contradiction between the 14th Amendment, which says you can deny someone who's been involved in a crime in the 15th amendment which says previous condition of servitude cannot be a reason to deny someone and yeah the supreme court just decided to go with the 14th amendment instead of the 15th one there well how um what a bad thing to know in a emotional sense (laughs) (laughs) in fact i've messed up your transition to the safe room well regardless of any governmental amendments which we do not acknowledge everybody is equal because nobody gets a vote in the safe room it was all right i don't know i'm trying i was i was trying to think of one and then you really sort of no law school student is safe (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's just always true that's it's on site as soon as i see a jd on your name As soon as I know you went to law school, I will, I'll take pity on you and start teaching you what's in the Constitution. <laughs> now that we're in the safe room, Alex, what's on your mind this week? Well, what's on my mind this week? I've uh, made a realization that, unfortunately, I think the notion or the talking point of cancel culture isn't going anywhere because in my perspective this is just a reflavoring a reskin of fresh coat of paint on the sort of either a i'll sue you or oh you can't do that somebody will sue you dipshit talking point where in the sense that it's fully toothless but sort of really makes people decry what the country has gone to 
as as we know, as scholarly young uh, gentlemen, cancel culture is a sort of a boogeyman of sorts. The point being that nobody's ever actually been canceled because that sort of doesn't mean anything. And the people that are sort of in a position to quote unquote be canceled are sort of wealthy individuals who can sort of do And anybody that's poor enough, nobody gives a shit about like what your Twitter ratio was to like have it cost you your job. Uh, Maybe you won't get to go to an Ivy league school because you recorded yourself using racial slurs, but you also don't have a constitutional right to go to a private institution for college. So nobody's rights have been infringed upon. And then the other side of that with, as a law school student, thank you very much. <laughs> the process and the length of time and cost for it being in a, uh, what we can only assume is a civil lawsuit uh, for damages, physical or emotional, is sort of incomprehensible to the average person. It takes years and costs cash upon cash. And for most torts, which is what the sue will be of like, I'm suing you because I was at a beach and you only had two lifeguards and now we have to put up a sign that says if you drown it's your fault or something or whatever the fuck uh or could you believe that if you don't put extra hot coffee on a cup then they can sue you for having hot coffee when you ordered hot coffee or whatever the fuck people think that suing people means the way lawsuits work in that sense is the person that's been injured in some capacity finds a lawyer that has to take on their case and they'll take it on for free no cost up front but it'll cost 33% of the winnings at the back end. And so it has to be a case that they're willing to try because they'll make money off of. Otherwise you won't get anybody to help you sue and you can represent yourself in court, but nobody, the, 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 the framework and the necessary paperwork and introduction of evidence and all this shit is as a law school student, I can tell you way too convoluted for its own good, uh, intentionally. So probably regarding any sort of the teen amendments, but who's to say, <laughs> but it's just both of them are sort of non things like nobody's ever been sued for whatever the fuck. And if they have, then obviously there's, if anybody's been successfully sued over a tour in that situation, then obviously there was some wrongdoing that would give them a payout just file enough for a lawyer to spend their professional time to make that money back. So it's sort of like you, you, you can't, you just throw it around anywhere. And then you can say, ah, I see. I've, <laughs> I was right. I've made a good point And I've sort of, proven that society has failed because i don't know i don't i don't know what the point is i truly don't either way but whatever point you think you're making you're not at people who say oh i'm gonna i'm probably gonna get canceled for saying this or uh somebody will sue me neither of those things will happen (laughs) i feel like for whatever reason people take criticism to be cancellation which doesn't really make sense like i I don't know where this idea came from that you should be allowed to say whatever you want and everyone also then has to agree with you. I have ADHD. Uh, (laughs) The other way people use this, like, you know, you might get, like, dropped from a particular platform or something, which, again, is, like, I don't know where this idea that you have a right to be on a particular platform, particularly if they're paying you. It's like, if you want, you can still say whatever you want, but where this idea that you can say whatever you want and get paid for it? Like, yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like for all these people that are like, I, you're infringing on my rights. Don't know what that means in the sense of like what you actually have a right to. It's almost nothing private. 
<laughs> interacting with another private entity. You don't get to just do whatever you want because you spoke it. That's not what <laughs> free speech means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't have a right to be on Facebook. You know what I mean? The Consti- Ron Paul, the Constitution doesn't defend your libertarian <laughs> ability to be on a social media platform. Shout out to President Trump, the only real one to ever get canceled. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I was listening to actually a kind of interesting podcast about cancel culture. That was going to be kind of dumb, but but it did have some smart people on it. But at one point, they did say like, uh, he, and he, the guy who said this said it like jokingly, um, but he was kind of like, oh, Trump was like the one person that couldn't be canceled. But it was just ironic. Cause it's like it was kind of ironic because Trump was probably like the closest person yeah, should getting canceled because at least he got like permanently banned. You know, well, we'll see, but hopefully permanently <laughs> banned from some social media platforms. Like most people don't even get that much. It's just like, yeah, they just like lose a gig and then like a couple days later they're back and you can't stop hearing about them. <laughs> I think it's fair to like talk about. Like I think so. I forget who made this prompt. Some people, someone framed it as like accountability culture or something, which I think mm. is probably a little bit more fair. Like I think there's definitely like a culture of people being like, "Yeah, what you said was fucked up" or whatever. But <laughs> hey, man, you're kind of a piece of shit, Christy Teigen. You can't bully a teenager and tell her to kill herself, <laughs> and then be mad when there's repercussions ex- that are exclusively like societal in the sense that like people like dunk on you on a website you don't need to be on no she also lost her um oh her target, target sponsorship target pillow sponsorship <laughs> okay you don't well again maybe don't tell teenagers to kill themselves on the social media when you're a millionaire you know and if you're just too much of a goddamn uh, i don't want to get canceled but if you're too much of a goddamn sociopath that you need 33 million people's uh likes and uh a positive affirmation. I don't know. Maybe you just uh, don't deserve anything. <laughs> Sorry if that's challenging your disability. Of uh, let's, let's use delusions of grandeur to use uh, when you how you essence your people, Chrissy. <laughs> Very tough mental illness to witness, let alone deal with. I'm sure. I, I well, I don't. I don't totally know if it's the exact same thing as the uh, lawsuit thing. I, I think that's kind of interesting. Point. I, I could see it some. I think there was maybe a little more uh, nefariousness behind the lawsuit thing because there was people were trying to yeah end your ability to like sue. Like that was the whole thing with like the hot coffee document. Right. It's yeah. Like I'm... oh, actually McDonald's did mess up oh, and deserve yeah. to be sued, but then like a bunch of like conservatives were like, "This is stupid. Like no one should be allowed to sue if a corporation injures you." <laughs> Yeah, I want. Let me make two things very clear. One, McDonald's fucked up, and you're. But they they won the public back by getting serial seventeen year old dater when when is forty Jerry Seinfeld to roast him on his uh, sitcom in the nineties. But yeah, you should be able to sue things. It's not exactly the same, but sort of you'll get the same people using that same sort of very tired, shitty, weird joke, but they actually think like it's a big problem. Yeah. If those kind of was president in 2010 instead of 2020, he definitely would have been like making offhand remarks about like, oh, "Are you guys gonna sue me?" Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's funny because he was being sued consistently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would have been a real good dig there, Don. 
dunking on a hypothetical president. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> a fucking moron. <laughs> Bankrupt piece of shit. <laughs> uh, but that's... Justin, what are your... Uh, what do you have thoughts on? Are they somehow related? Are you talking about how you might want to describe these people, Justin? A foreshadowing? Yeah, so... I- I know it's bad form to come into the safe room conflicted, but I am coming in a little conflicted on this one. I don't know the best way to to uh, word this, but I, basically I think we need ways to call people stupid. Let me be clear here. I, I don't mean like to be like elitist or ableist about this. Like, you know, obviously, you know, everyone's mind works differently and uh, I don't expect... You, I'm not gonna like if someone doesn't have their multiplication tables memorized. I'm not being like you shouldn't just go around and be like idiot. You like how do you not know eight times seven or whatever. Forty two. No. No. Fifty two. <laughs> Fuck. No. <laughs> Fifty six. That's always the that you literally picked the hardest one. That's not my fault. It, five, six, seven, eight. Give me what. Holy shit. <laughs> right, give me another one. Idiot. <laughs> no! You can't say that. You're canceled. I'm suing you. Uh, another one, uh, nine times seven. Oh, 63. There you go. Yeah, um, nah, I'm good on that one. <laughs> but anyway. Keep me on my toes. I want at least two more before you die. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm sorry taking this point from the... Um, but Monty Jones has a podcast called The Right Time, which all the sports podcasts I listen to are not actually about sports, in case you're wondering how this point possibly came up on there. Uh. But, uh, and, and the point, and the context he sort of made it in was probably uh, the most relevant context now, and maybe will still be when this episode comes out. But it's about like uh, these COVID vaccines and people making up all sorts of wild reasons not to get the vaccine, talking about how they need to do their own research and there's microchips <laughs> and they're going to track you. And it's like, at some point it's just like, you just got to say, doesn't this sound stupid to you? <laughs> Don't you think you're being mostly an idiot? <laughs> We've talked about in this podcast before, like uh, I think we had an artifact on it. Like the best way to sort of persuade someone is to, you know, have a, some sort of relationship with them and, mm-hmm. you know, use uh, like an anecdote to, sort of like persuade them but it's like at some point some of this stuff is getting so wild it's like i don't have an anecdote if you think there's microchips <laughs> in the vaccine I, mm. I don't know what else to say other than doesn't that sound stupid to you <laughs> don't you don't you say that out loud and you don't think about yourself you don't sort of take any stock at all <laughs> in your sort of what you're doing with yourself because it seems at that i mean listen i some people might be lost causes or maybe they'll come to they'll have a come to jesus moment jesus moment but you don't it's not your job you can just sort of say you know what you're super not worth anybody's time (laughs) (laughs) so i'm just gonna let you know that you're mostly a waste of space and then i'm gonna leave i don't even mean it in the way of like you're stupid i'm out but it's almost like I just mean we really need to, like, we need something that conveys the sense to, to just shock people out of their complacency. <laughs> I don't know the right word, because, like, ideally, I do want to get people, you know, on uh, on the right side and, and realizing some... I just mean we need to, some way to convey this, the, just the utter 
uh, absurdness of, of of some stuff that people are saying out here. Like, so I'll I'll say this is stuff that like I've heard from multiple people. If Fox News is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> yeah, I I mean that gem. <laughs> that that's a gem for sure. But like one here's one that like I hear a lot where it's like I, I don't know what to say anymore. It's like and, and I don't even know like this is the only thing I can think they mean what they say, although sometimes they'll word it a little bit differently, is like with like this trans bathroom stuff and people mm-hmm. who are basically like argue that that every public bathroom should have like an armed guard out in front that checks everyone's <laughs> genitals before they come in. And it's like I, I don't know what to say to that other than like that when you said that or when you heard that that didn't sound stupid to you immediately, like yeah. that you didn't immediately dismiss that as just being completely stupid. Like I don't have an anecdote for that. I don't know if, right. <laughs> if you think that bat- public bathrooms need twenty four seven genital ex- inspectors. I don't know what to say. <laughs> so let's like we can workshop some minds. Like in what fucking world? Or are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> What on God's green earth are you talking about? <laughs> Another one that I hear a lot, uh, or, you know, or some variation, is just like poor people have it too easy. Oh, huge! On <laughs> like, God, I'm open with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? What about your lived experience has led right. you to believe that this at all made sense? Like, how did you not get halfway through saying that and say, mm, "Actually, let me." take a wave run that one what about like what about like what about like oh you big stupid huh (laughs) 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 at some point like yeah i I guess i could like give an anecdote about the struggle of of being poor but if you don't already have that uh another one i get a variation of a lot is (laughs) i mean you get this a lot with um just this, like, general, like, anti-intellectualism we see a lot mm-hmm. on, like, the right wing, but just, like, this idea that someone who's never studied or thought about an issue can know as much about it as someone who, like, <laughs> studies yeah. it for a living. <laughs> it's, like, again, like, I can't, it's hard for me to even get that out of my mouth without right. me being, like, something's not adding up here. Let me, <laughs> let me think about this a little more. <laughs> yeah, well, you're just fully out of pocket right now. That's fine. <laughs> you know, not not everything has to come from a book. It's like, okay, sure, but, like, what research did you do, though? <laughs> yeah, it's, at some point, it's like, you know, we can, we can be critical of any source, but where exactly is your information coming from? And, and that gets right. back to the whole, like, you know, I'm, I need to do my own research on COVID. It's like, you you have the beakers, like, where, where, right. you, where is this research <laughs> happening? Who's funding this research? Where's your lab at? Like, <laughs> the only other thing I'll say is, like, I think people, maybe part of this point, too, is, like, people, I think, get offended, maybe, by if people, like, say that, that what they said was stupid it's like i I really need people to change their mindset from getting offended to getting a library card like oh damn so like yeah because there's stuff i don't know about and yeah when i don't know about stuff it's like okay let me like see if there's a book on this or an article or something and let <laughs> I me mean, look at it where it's like it seems like the mindset is like oh you, you think i'm stupid about this oh okay so let me now let me now attack you it's like mm-hmm. 
No, I'm te- well. I'm really telling you is to read a book. Like, yeah, like relax, Snowflake. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> so, you can just be an idiot. It's super okay. It doesn't <laughs> have to be that. Doesn't have to be that controversial or much of a mean thing. You're just kind of really just talking out of your ass right now. <laughs> Whatever. Use discretion. Like, I'm not. I'm not saying just go around calling everyone stupid. But I, mm. we need to have. We need to have something that shocks people out of whatever. Yeah whatever is going through the world right now i think sometimes you just, you could just be like look at him give him like really look at him sort of nod your head eyes a little squint to just mm, give him like a good three four second beat just go can i explain that <laughs> elaborate on that one for me <laughs> no no i'm interested i'm listening i'm listening i'm just yeah just walk me through that one more time just sort of take it back for me <laughs> When we were when I did the sort of like why or swear words swear words or whatever, and you were, you were like people don't like when you call other people garbage, and it's not exactly the same thing, but you know I could you're garbage, you know <laughs> like it's just sort of you know it's not like I mean I'm saying you're yeah you're not you have zero worth you know it's it's okay you could work on that though you know like you can be an idiot now but work on it <laughs> well it have to be you just are right now about this all right these things happen. All right, well, that's our show for this uh, quarter of the year. Mm. Uh, <laughs> see the show notes for a link to view the artifacts for yourself and view the end notes. Artwork by JAS Art Studios, music produced by Nicholas Pizzuto. Uh, what's six times five? Hmm? Six times five? You son of a bitch, 30. Damn it, I was just like, I was... <laughs> <laughs> Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Facebook, and tell a friend or enemy about the show. And join us again in... Three weeks. Sure. Let's go with that. As we find two new texts to discuss. What we could do, though, is... This could technically be... Season three. That's true. But then it's gonna have the season two intro. Oh, oh, about what? What do you mean the season two intro? Well, no, if we're gonna change it again, but we, the season one intro is different. Oh, I see, I see. And also the outro is different too. That's true. Although we can always change the outro later. I guess we could change the intro later too. Yeah, we could re-record. We'll. Yeah, I mean, we could always re-record these two. Um, all right, well, we can still just sort of, yeah, well, we'll get the, the meat of it done anyways. Mm-hmm. Right, let me pull up my, <laughs> yeah, let me pull up my, uh, script. Oh, I forgot to tell you to record the banter sooner. I know. I, like, was just thinking about it. We still uh, banter. I know. There's no, absolutely no value to it if it's not recorded. <laughs> <laughs>